the more I think I have figured out prayer, the more I realize how little I really know about prayer. It is one of those mysterious parts of our relationship with God and being a follower of Christ. Sometimes it feels as though I, I've, you know, some things have come clear and I've figured them out. And then I read something or talk to someone or you know, hear something and look at scripture. And it seems like maybe it's just gibberish. And I think that's probably right because we're dealing with the supernatural. We're dealing with the divine. And to think that we could ever come to the place where we could fully, completely, totally understand God, to put God into our box, is a mistake. But there are things that we can learn about prayer. And we're continually trying to learn about it. And people through the ages have been trying to learn about it. I did a just a quick search on Amazon this week and just typed in the word prayer and I think there were 380 some thousand entries that came up of books and music and various things related to prayer. And some of them relate to probably to other religions. But it just reveals how much we're trying to figure it out. And one of the questions that people will often ask me is how long do you pray for something when it doesn't happen? How, how, much, how much do you repeat prayers? When is enough enough? When does it move from, from asking God to badgering God? I think the reason we ask that question is we, we're a little concerned about being repetitious with our prayers. There are traditions of the church, actually the Wesleyan tradition in the holiness movement, was very skeptical of written prayers, of some of the, uh, the liturgy and the litanies of the church that were recited in the church. Because the concern was that it would just become repetitious to us. And we remember Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about fasting and giving and praying. And he says to the disciples, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And the word babbling is this idea of vain repetitions, useless repetitions, just saying words. And there are probably two things Jesus is wanting to, to address in this sentence, in this warning. One is praying prayers without thinking about it. Just they're just, they're just coming out of our words, coming out of our mouths, but they don't really, they're not things we're thinking about. And some people have said through the ages that that's why you shouldn't write out prayers. You know, because then you're, you're reading them and you're not really praying them. They ought to be spontaneous. And maybe that's true, though I've known people through the years. I remember a man years and years ago in another church who, who would, uh, would, this was a concern of his, that uh, prayers ought to be spontaneous. And I always thought it was intriguing because when he prayed spontaneous prayers, they always sounded exactly the same. The problem's not repetition. The problem's what we do with it. And the same thing that can, we can repeat the words on a page 
and mean them from the depths of our being and they can, and they can be expressed in a way that we could never express spontaneously because we're thinking about it more by writing it down. Or we can, we can indeed, they can just be words on a page. And I think the other thing Jesus is combating here are, are, are prayers that we believe that if we just line up the words in the right way, at the right time, in the, in the right order, that we can manipulate God into doing what we want. And that's why he talks about pagan babbling, because the, in mo- the religions around Israel, there was a sense that if you, if you did the ritual just this certain way, at just this certain time, with just these certain things, then the gods would have to give you what you wanted. And in essence, you control them. And the heart of this, and Jesus says, the reason we don't pray that way is because that kind of praying assumes the gods don't want to give you good things. It assumes that you have to force the gods to do good for you. You have to manipulate and nag them and badger them. And Jesus says at the end of this teaching, your heavenly father loves to give good gifts to his children. It isn't... It isn't something we have to pester him or convince him to do. He loves to do it. And so we have, but we still have these concerns about repetitious prayer. And yet, when we come to this this picture of Mark's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to us very clearly that Jesus prays a repetitious prayer. He He meets with his disciples. The disciples come with him. He leaves eight of them at the entrance. He takes Peter, James, and John into into the garden further. And he says, stay here, watch while I go pray. And after a little while, he comes back. But in that prayer, he prays, Father, if this cup could pass from me. And he goes back to them, finds them sleeping, wakes them up. And Mark says, one more time, he went away and prayed the same thing. Father, if this cup could pass from me. And after a while, he comes back to the disciples and they're sleeping again. And he wakes them up and he goes back and prays again. And for at least an hour or so, if not longer, Jesus prays one prayer over and over and over again. Father, if this cup could pass from me. You want to say, how long does it take to settle that? And yet here is Jesus, the very son of God, the most spiritual person to ever live. And he prays this repetitious prayer. This prayer that repeats this prayer over and over and over again. And I think there's some value in that for us. Yes, we can fall into the trap of things being repetitious. And we don't mean anything. But quite frankly, we will probably pray repeatedly about things that are important to us. Shouldn't we? I mean, we we keep bringing the important things back to God because they are important to us. And every so often, we find in Scripture God saying to someone, stop praying about that, it's done. He says that to Moses. Moses is not... Moses' punishment for disobeying God with the water and the rock is to not be able to go into the promised land. And, and in Deuteronomy, he's asking God again if he will change his mind. And he says, just give me a couple of days over there. And God says to him, Moses, that's enough. This is done. No more. 
But that's, a, that's the exception that proves the rule. What we find over and over again in Scripture is people praying prayers repeatedly. Because it's what's important to us. We pray that God will, will set the world free from the bondage of sin because that's important to us. And we keep praying that prayer over and over again. We pray that God will fill us with the Holy Spirit because that's important. And we keep praying it. And God will make us loving and compassionate and full of grace and more like Christ. And we pray that prayer. We don't just pray that prayer once and then ignore it. The very fact that we keep praying it is an indication that it's important to us. So important that we can't stop praying it over and over and over again. It's the same way of praying for other people that we love, that we care about. Praying as we do each week for the persecuted church and praying for the church in the world and the world at large. And, and we pray for people over and over again because they're important to us. It's one of the ways in which we love people. And to stop praying for people is in essence saying they're not as important as they used to be. Every so often someone asks me, should we keep the names of people in the bulletin, the prayer concerns, for this long? Some have been in there for a number of years. Yeah. We keep praying for them because it's a way that we as a church can, can express compassion for them and love for them. And maybe as we keep praying week after week for these people, God will prompt us about ways in which we can, we can have a presence in their lives. Send them a note of encouragement. Stop by for a visit. Take them a meal. Whatever. But a way in which God works on us to help them. And the most natural thing in the world about things that are important to us and people that are important to us and circumstances that are important to us is to keep praying for them. It's good. I think that has something to do with why the disciples fail here in the garden. Jesus, when he comes back to them, chastises them a bit and says, look, you guys sleeping? You should be praying. Because this is, this is a hard time. The battle's being won or lost right here in the garden. This is the time to pray, not to sleep. And I think the reason they sleep instead of pray is because they don't realize how serious this moment is. Jesus understands it and he prays again and again. They don't get it and they sleep. We look at the situation and we want to say, wow, well, these guys are just, they're just relaxed in Jesus. No, they're ignoring an important situation. They're in denial about the truth. And sometimes we need to pray repeatedly about the things that, are, that, are, that we're wrestling with because it's a sign of, our, of the seriousness of the situation in our lives. It's a sign of our helplessness about those situations and that God is who we need. They don't recognize the danger of the temptation, so they don't pray. Jesus does. There are temptations and struggles and ways in which the enemy comes at us. And the most appropriate response is not to pray once and let it go. And say, well, okay, I prayed about it, now I can handle it. But it's to to keep pouring out our hearts to God over and over again because we recognize we can't handle it 
Only he can. In Luke 11, Jesus tells a parable of the man whose friend comes to his house for an unexpected visit. It's late at night. He has nothing to feed him. So he goes next door and he pounds on the neighbor's door. Says, I I had a friend come to visit. I don't have anything in the house. I need to borrow some bread. And Jesus says that the guy doesn't want to get up. But he will, and most translations say because of his persistence, he will get up and give bread to his friend. But that word persistence at its root really means helplessness. Because of his helplessness, because he realizes that his friend can't do anything about his situation. He doesn't have time to bake bread. He is his only solution. And because he feels compassion for the need of his friend, he will get up and give him what he needs. It's not because he badgered him. It's because he recognized how needy this person was. And we come to God with our burdens and our concerns. And we, he realizes when we acknowledge we are needy. We are helpless. We can't do anything about this. We need you, Jesus. And we discover his compassion. And we keep praying about these things because we keep wrestling with them. We keep struggling with them. Quite frankly, we often keep failing with them. But we keep coming back to him. And he is gracious and merciful. And he's good. And in the end, what we are accomplishing is... It's one of the ways in which we surrender our hearts, our wills to God. We talked last week about how Jesus in his prayer surrenders, not my will but yours be done. And you get the sense that it takes Jesus this whole time of praying in the garden to finally truly come to that place where he lets it go. And it seems to me that maybe the prayer of repetition is God's way of providing us time To line up our hearts with his. We'd like to think that we all just pray once, surrender to God and walk away and everything is great. And maybe sometimes that happens. But it seems to me that for most of us, it's a struggle. And instead of being afraid or ashamed of the struggle, we realize this is part of being human. We wrestle with things. And that's okay. And the prayer of repetition, as we keep praying about it, shouldn't discourage us. We keep bringing it back to God and asking him to help us surrender. And in that process, over time, we actually do. There are people, and there are circumstances, where people do surrender in a moment. But I think most of the time, it's a process for us. It seems to be for Jesus, or it wouldn't have been an hour praying about it. And if it's that way for Jesus, there's a good chance it's going to be that way for us. My fear is not so much about people who are genuinely, honestly, like Jesus, wrestling to surrender, to relinquish whatever God is asking My concern is when we do that way too quickly. And it becomes something that we just say with our mouths, but not necessarily with our hearts. 
We say it because it's the right thing to say. We're supposed to surrender. We're supposed to relinquish. That's what we're supposed to do. And it looks bad when we don't. And as I said, sometimes we're able to do that immediately. And we give thanks to God for that. But it seems to me that most of the time, that acquiescing is actually more denial about, what, about the real struggle than it is really surrendering and relinquishing. Because as human beings, it takes us time. And continuing to pray this prayer, continuing to repeat our prayer, is God's gift of time. To allow us to get to where he's asking us to be. Richard Foster talks about how we shouldn't be afraid of this struggle. Because it's sort of like little children when we begin to pray about a particular issue. We argue and we pout and we whine and we struggle. But that's what little children do. And eventually, as we mature by repeating our prayer and wrestling with the prayer, eventually we create spiritual muscles that allow us to surrender where we need to be. But we don't despise the earlier struggle. That's a part of developing the spiritual muscles that we need to really surrender. And we give thanks for that. And God is patient with us. When I mentioned a few weeks ago, when I was young, it was not uncommon, especially on a Sunday night after church, that people would come to the altar and they would pray about something they were wanting to give to God. And people would gather around them and pray. And when they finished praying, the question that was typically asked of them is, have you settled it? And if they said yes, they'd say, that's awesome, tell us about it. If they hesitated... Typically, one of the pastors, it was often my father, would say, maybe we need to pray about this some more. And the group would go back to praying again. And I've witnessed times where that happened, that very, this little question answer time happened three, four, five, six times until it was settled or until he said, I just don't think it's going to happen tonight. And we keep praying and we'll keep working and we'll talk some more. And that Getting to that last point was often called praying through. And it's, it's getting all the way, it's getting prayer all the way through to the end, not just part way, not just saying, yeah, I surrender, but not really that coming from our hearts, but truly understanding what God was asking and being willing to give it up and to die the death of whatever it was that God was asking us to relinquish and come to the end and really say, It's his. And to know that peace and joy of surrender. That's how we learn. You you go into a, a new class and you're being introduced to things that you haven't thought about before. Sometimes we don't grab them real quickly. And you read material and you think, this is really, this isn't up my alley. I don't know where, what, what they're saying here. I don't get it. You have two choices. You can just keep reading and scan and keep going through it and act like you get it and then face the consequences in the final exam. Or you can read it and 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 think about it and talk to people about it and ask questions and until eventually the light dawns and you say, oh, I get it now. 
And I find that when that happens, it's sort of a domino effect. When we get that thing, it's as though a whole bunch of other things fall into place for us. But the truth is, thinking like that and processing through things like that is hard work. And sometimes we don't want to do the hard work. We don't want to struggle with it. And sometimes we quit praying too soon. We give up too quickly. And God is calling us to this to the struggle. Let's be honest about it. Jesus is. Because without the honesty, without engaging ourselves fully in what God is asking of us, we won't ever get to the end that he wants for us. And the ultimate end that God wants for us is relationship with him. There are all kinds of facets and dynamics of prayer. We pray boldly, we pray courageously because we believe God can change things. And somehow in the way God has designed all of this, our prayers can make a difference. And I don't quite grasp all of that, but they do. But sometimes we think that the only reason we pray is because of something out there. And we do pray for that. But ultimately, we pray because of what God wants to do in here as we pray. And praying is as much about we who pray as it is about the things we're praying about. It's about coming to the place of understanding God's relationship with us and God and understanding God as Father to us, as Abba to us. Coming to see God for who He is and His compassion and grace and mercy to us. And that can only happen as we keep coming to God in prayer. I sometimes wonder if one of the reasons God doesn't answer our prayers as quickly as we would like is because if He did, we would stop praying. If we prayed once and it was done, we would pray once and be done. But because God doesn't answer as quickly as we would like, we keep coming back to him with our prayers. And the coming back to him brings us into his presence. And coming into his presence, we learn more and more about who he is and his desires for us and his passion for us as father. Years ago, I read about a guy who was probably, it probably took place, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago. Guy graduated from college and was trying to get himself established in the world. And as you can imagine, he had little or no money. And he got himself into a tight financial situation. He had nowhere to turn. He had no other family except an older sister who lived on the opposite side of the country. And he wrote to her and asked if she could loan him $500. And he would pay it back $50 a month. Until it was done. And she was glad to loan him the money. So the first month came to an end. He wrote her a check for $50. And stuck a little note in there. Telling her a little bit about his life. And what was happening. Mailed it off. And she wrote back and thanked him. At the end of the next month. He wrote his $50 check. And included a little note about his life. And what was happening. And caught her up on things. And sent it to her. And the third month, he wrote the check and wrote her a note and sent it to her. And that continued. He got to the last month, 
And he wrote the check and he, and he wrote her a note thanking her so much. He was doing so much better. He'd gotten on his feet. He couldn't have done it without her and the whole thank you and here's what's happening and sent it off to her. And a week or so later, he received a letter back from his sister. And in the letter was another check for $500. And he said, she said, one stipulation that you pay it off $50 a month and you include a little note in there about what's happening in your life. She said, I don't know if I've ever felt closer, more connected to you than I have over these past 10 months when we've been communicating as you've been paying back this loan. And prayer is more than that. But in a sense, it is that. It is coming into the presence of God over and over again so that we can know who he is. And have a relationship with him and him with us. And because knowing who he is, living in the presence of God as Abba Father changes us. And that's what he's after. Making us new. Transforming us. So that we will trust him more. So that we will pray bolder, more courageous prayers because we have begun to understand who he is as Abba, Father. I wish I could replicate this, could have replicated this in every service. But right about this moment, as I was preaching in the first service, a little girl in the balcony, I don't know, she's probably 18 months, 12, 12 months, began to say, dad, 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 dad. I mean, everybody, we were all hearing it, you know, as she's up there talking. I paused for a moment and I thought, that's it. That's it. That we have this yearning for our father. We keep coming to him. We want him. What relationship with him? We have discovered that if everything is taken away and all we're left with is God, that's enough. And we keep coming to him saying, Father, Abba, 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 Abba. I would be surprised if We all haven't come today with something that is burdening us. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's something in someone else's life, maybe it's a concern that in our own lives something important to us. Maybe it's some temptation that we are really struggling to get through. Maybe it's something God has put his finger on our hearts and our lives and said, I need you to surrender this to me. Maybe it's just realizing that we aren't spending enough time with our Father. And we need to trust him. In this moment of silence, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer, whatever it may be. And to do it again tonight and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And allow God to use the prayer of repetition to transform us in whatever way he knows that we need.
Let us pray. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for the privilege of coming to you again and again and again and knowing that you never tire of us. You find great joy in our prayers. Help us today. Give us grace to see who you are and to keep trusting you more and more every day as we offer to you our prayers. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen.